good morning, everyone. It's, my, it's great to see you here this morning. My name's Matt, part of the team here. Um, we, it's been amazing this week. I don't think I can remember a week in which we have heard so many reports of breakthrough in people's lives. It has been amazing. And we shouldn't be surprised because when you pray, God answers. And I think, you know, I've often said a miracle for someone is a sign of breakthrough for everyone. I believe God is doing something powerful in our midst. It's wonderful that, you know, uh, being a part of a church is about all of those things. And it's about more. It's about being a temple of God. It's about a place that when we are broken or we know other people that are, that are broken and hurting, it's a place where we can, in a sense, you know, lower people into this space like those the, uh, at the time of Jesus when people lowered that crippled person down through the roof and into the presence of Jesus. I believe the church can be that. I believe we are becoming that and it's exciting. It's so exciting. As we see God move, I believe it's just a taste of what is up ahead. Speaking of up ahead, one of the, uh, what, what I want to do this morning actually is talk a little bit about what I feel is up ahead for us as a um, as a leader, and in a sense, the essence of spiritual leadership really is about not about being the guru. There are no gurus in the church. Um, it's not about being the person that knows, you know, knows it all. Or it's actually being uh, that person who's on the journey and has the opportunity to scout ahead a little bit. And I just believe that um, there are a number of things that uh, that. I feel like I've seen an up ahead that I just think is so important for us uh, as a church. We're talking at a, recently at a, at a pastor's gathering, we're talking about some of these things and about how leadership is a little bit like kind of scouting ahead. You get to be those scouts, you know, in the story in, in Numbers, how the scouts, you know, went ahead into the promised land to see if it was really as good as was promised, you know, and they came back and they said, yes, it's really, it really is as good as what was promised. Now, there were some other things about that, that, but I won't go into that. But in a sense, you know, leadership is about being able to scout ahead and get a taste. And God is so faithful, I think, in the way that He, uh, he leads leaders. And I'm so thankful for, for God's leading in my life. And, um, and it's with excitement, actually, that I, in a sense, can come to you today and, and say, there's a sense in which I've been able to, I think, you know, scout ahead a little bit and get a taste of what God has for us. I'm a little bit like a scout running back and telling you, hey, this is what's ahead. And so uh, in summary, let me summarise it uh, right at the start and say that the great news is that up ahead, there's something really exciting up ahead, and it is that we're all going to die. Now, um, this is really good news, actually, and I'm really excited about this message uh, today. We're all going to die. Um, and, and, I'll, and I'll explain in a moment why I think this is really, really exciting. Uh, but first, I want to, um, I want to read uh, something that I read a couple of weeks ago, and... Um, this is Jesus talking about what's going to happen up ahead for those who want to be his disciples. And a disciple is someone who walks with God, right? Uh, and Jesus is explaining here what actually this involves and what is up ahead for those who want to walk with God. And um, I'm just going to 
grab a drink here. And it's from Matthew chapter 16 and from verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. Now, the cross, of course, for those listening, had a whole lot of trauma associated with it. There's something that would have been actually really quite shocking about this announcement uh, because cross, the cross meant execution. It meant a prolonged execution. And Jesus is saying that whoever wants, whoever wants to follow me must be willing to endure a kind of prolonged execution. Man, this is good news today, isn't it? This is, this is gonna be great this morning. Um, and so therefore must deny themselves. Now, why, why is he saying that we should deny ourselves? That's a very countercultural statement, particularly uh, in a cultural context in which life is construed as a process by which we express ourselves. It's all about, you know, realising all of our dreams and desires and becoming the person that we want to be and, um, you know, getting all the things that we want. And so that's, that's really makes this, in our context, even more kind of shocking that we would be asked to deny ourselves. Why is he asking us to deny ourselves the reason Jesus is saying this is because there is something deep within each one of us that is a kind of pervasive, I'm trying to think of a nice way to put this, and I can't think of anything. <laughs> I'll get, listen, I'm going to get to the good news in a moment, but first I've got to deliver some bad news to you. Um, the bad news is that the problem that we have actually is much worse than you think. Now, we, we tend to be, get preoccupied with the things about ourselves uh, that are kind of blemishes on our character, the things we don't like. You know, I've got a bad temper or I'm selfish or, you know, I'm, I'm this or I'm that. And, and these things, you know, these things tend to come out at points and we, um, you know, we, we feel down on ourselves and... Um, uh, and the key actually to that is to recognize that those blemishes are a little bit like um, are a little bit like kind of a, a mole on the skin that's the sign of a melanoma that's spread through the whole body uh, it's it's a little bit it's the, the real problem with our lives isn't just those behavioral things it's not just the little blemishes there's actually something much much deeper that is the problem. 
And this is important to realise because it's not like we can then, you know, judge one another. We, we have no basis on which to judge one another because judging each other looks like me pointing to the mole on your, because we, you know, let's say we, we all share the same problem. Let's, you know, this kind of spiritual melanoma, just for lack of a better uh, illustration. And, you know, that, that, that is pervasive for each one of us. It's not to say there's nothing good. God created us good, but there was this pervasive corruption that occurred in our human nature. And it is pervasive, right? It's not just one little thing. It's the whole thing. As I said, it's much worse than you think. Now, this means that one person can't then look at another and say, oh, that character flaw, um, you know, your character flaws are worse than my character flaws because it's not about character flaws. We all share the same fundamental problem and it's completely pervasive. Do you understand that? Um, I'm, this is still the bad news, by the way. As I said, I'll get to the good news, right? That's, and, and that's really important to recognise. Now, the problem, because the problem is pervasive, and here's, here's the key point. Because the problem is pervasive, therefore the solution is pervasive. The solution isn't just a little bit of this and a little bit of that and renovate here and renovate there. And and God is not in the business of renovating because the whole building is condemned. This is good. You know, God is not in the business of renovating. He's in the business of of transforming completely. What he wants to do is not patch up the little things. Maybe, maybe this is what you've... It's very important that our expectations match what God's going to do. And sometimes I think our expectations look a little bit like God coming in and patching up this crack and patching up that crack and, um, and, and then maybe putting some nice furniture in the building. Actually, God wants to pull the whole thing down and build something completely new. It is a pervasive work of salvation. Because he purchased you with the blood of Jesus Christ, through the death of Jesus Christ. He purchased you. He made you right with himself. He, he made the relationship right and now he draws you to himself and he wants to now completely transform your life. But here's the important bit. That work of transformation looks like dying and rising again. It is dying and rising again. Let me tell a story that I told you last year, actually, but because it's an experience that has been an incredible, um, an enduringly transforming experience for me, uh, a realisation of this. This is what I mean by getting to kind of uh, just go over the next bend, have a little look around the next bend. Um, uh, I'm on this journey and God does things and it gives me a sense uh, of what's up ahead. Anyway, to the story. Uh, as I said, this is repetition. I did I did tell this uh, last year, but uh, I want to tell it again, given how important uh, it, it has been for me. I was at a uh, pastor's conference, uh, not a pastor's conference, just a small gathering of um, uh, pastors of, of larger churches and um, 
you know, different people uh, were sharing. It was a larger Baptist churches. Different people were sharing. And we're talking about leadership and spiritual leadership, particularly about spiritual renewal, you know, and this understanding um, that, you know, we shared this understanding that actually uh, if we wanted to lead renewal, we had to experience it for ourselves. And, and so we were sharing very honestly uh, around. Amazing, amazing group of people. Talk about my sense of optimism for the church was just, I thought, wow, what a bunch of amazing uh, Christian leaders in this room. Anyway, one of the guys uh, there, uh, he shared this story um, how uh, he, went, he, he went through this really dry period and he... Um, he just felt completely kind of dead, spiritually dead. And he'd been a pastor for, for many, many years, but it, it's, for some reason, uh, he just went through this, this, this time of, of real dryness. And he knew that he needed to hear something from God. He knew that there was some kind of breakthrough, right, that, that he needed. And the time went on and nothing, he just, you know, he, he said, I tried, you know, reading scripture and praying and doing all these things and just there was nothing really. And eventually, um, he, he actually took uh, s- some time off. He took five weeks off and, and, you know, he said he really tried to use that time and practice the spiritual disciplines and all really good things. But nothing really, uh, nothing really came from that. And then um, towards the end of his, of his five weeks break, he actually got really, really sick. And so sick, in fact, he ended up in hospital and he was actually in, in misery. I mean, he, he, he really, it, it really looked pretty bad. And he was in you know, this, this, this miserable physical state in hospital lying there, you know, and he was just crying out to God, right? When are you going to speak to me? And finally, the dam broke. Finally, he heard God's been. And when I say heard, he just knew with all his being what God was saying to him. Do you know what God said to him? God said to him, you are a sinful man. You are a sinful, I'd use his name because that's, it, it, it was, now I hastened to say, and he hastened to tell us, there was not one bit of condemnation in that. There was so much love in that revelation. But the moment that he sensed God say that, he, could, he sensed the pervasive corruptedness that pervaded his whole being. I know this sounds really strange right now because he said, he said it, there wasn't any one, it's like actually he said there wasn't any obvious sort of moral lapse or issue going on in his life. It actually, it actually wasn't about, it was actually much, much deeper than that. And it was like he died and rose again because that opened the floodgates for the most significant spiritual renewal. Um, one of the amazing things about hearing testimonies, and this is one of the, one of the reasons why we love to share stories and, and we will do, uh, we will continue to do so, is because it's actually partly because of what I said before, because a miracle for someone is a sign of breakthrough for everyone. And I think there's something about sharing stories that actually 
that actually sows the seeds for the repetition of the kind of thing that you're actually sharing. You know, it, it, and and um, hearing that story for me, hearing him tell that story, and I was so grateful that he 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 sh- you know he shared that because about a month later, pretty much exactly the same thing happened to me. And I, can't, and, I, and I think there was probably a connection between those, uh, those two things. I mean, you know, at first I went away thinking, he probably is a sinful man. <laughs> you know, not surprised, I mean, goodness. Um, I... I, during that uh, period, I was reading this uh, this book. It was it's, it was a book because uh, you know with the Ukraine war and everything. It was about Vladimir Putin and and it was talking about you know like how things got to be where they did. Anyway, it's the sort of you know Putin is like the quintessential sort of bad guy uh, for our for our day and age. And as I was reading through this book, I had this growing uncomfortable feeling that I was a lot more. I was m- much more like Vladimir Putin than I was different from him. And I did, uh, you know, at the most fundamental level, and I did what all good Christians do when they sense that, I repressed it. (laughs) And I said, no, 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 I couldn't, I'm not that bad. He's a bad guy. You know, uh, anyway, so uh, I I successfully repressed it. um, And so I could go on uh, living comfortably. Anyway... Um, about uh, about a week later, um, uh, I was going for a walk uh, down and just just spending some time with God down the coast and and you know I was walking along this beach and um, and you know just really uh, really sensing God's presence. You know, I, I I begin my always in those prayer times, you know, I acknowledge, I always acknowledge God present, God's presence. You are here, Lord, you are present, you are, you know. And, uh, and I, don't, I don't always really fe- feel that. I acknowledge it. It's always, uh, always start there. I acknowledge it's a step of faith. Feelings come and go. Never be led by your feelings. But at, at this particular point, I really did sense, I really sense God's presence. Um, and I sense God's love. And, and, um, and, with that came this emerging sense, this gradual sense that everything that I did, was, it was all tainted with wrong motives. It's not that everything that I did was all bad, but, you know, because God, you know, I recognised God was at working, but there, there was, it's a little difficult to explain, but hang, hang in with me here. I had this sense that, Everything that I did, there was no real merit to everything that I did because everything that I did was, was, was tainted in some sense by the wrong motives. And it was so overwhelming, it was so pervasive, the sense of this, that uh, I, I, I began to push it down. I just was like, oh, because I, I just couldn't really face that, that it, because it was everything, right? Because what's left, right? If that's, you know, if, if that's everything about me is tainted, then what is left, right? It's like, the, the, you know, and so I just couldn't really, I couldn't handle even sort of seeing that 
about myself. And so I began to, to push that down and, and I sensed God saying to me, let it go. Let yourself, let yourself see this. And there was so much love in that. And it, as it rose up, all I can say is it was like I died. I died. But I died and I went to heaven. It was like I died and I and I came to life again. And the sense that I had was that I was like floating in an ocean of grace. That God knew all, and God knew all of those things about me, but God was gonna take that and God was gonna transform me and God was gonna, uh, was gonna completely envelop me in His grace. And I knew, I knew then almost like, and, and there have been moments in, in my life where I've just had that fresh perspective on actually how much we need Jesus. <laughs> on actually how very, very much we need Jesus. It's not just something that we need once. We'll deal with that back when we become a Christian or something. We deal with Jesus and then we move on and then we're all perfect, right? No, no, we always need Jesus all the time. Because salvation isn't just a once-off thing. It is, it is that by which we're made right with God and brought into God's favour. But it's also a process. And the process is something like dying and rising again and dying and rising again. And the thing about it is that it was so incredibly empowering because there is, and and that has been underscored by the last eight months or so uh, since that, that time. I've, it has been such an empowering thing. For a start, it has lifted off my shoulders the burden of entitlement. It's lifted off my shoulders the burden of entitlement. Hey, I should be noticed for this. I should, they should, you know, they should recognise that they I, I deserve this. I realised how incredibly entitled I had been and how much of a burden. It is to actually be so entitled. How much grief do we go through because we're not getting the things that we think we're owed in life? It's a lot of grief that we go through because it's entitlement is a great burden because we think we deserve that. And I, realized, I was released by this wonderful, wonderful sense that I deserve nothing. It was great. Because then everything was grace. Everything. See, there is nothing that the accuser can bring to me. There is nothing anymore that the accuser can point, oh, but you're this and you're that. And I say back, oh no, it's much worse than that. (laughs) There is nothing that the accuser can surprise me with. Because the accuser might say, oh, there's this about you and that about, this is, and, and this has repeatedly happened. Where it's like the finger of the accuser points and says, you've got this and that and this and that. 
And it's like extinguished by this sense. No, it's much worse than that. And I am immersed in an ocean of grace. Because I have died. I have died already. Because the price was already paid in the death of Jesus and I have died in Him. And I've become a ghost. And when the enemy tries to get me, he's just fighting a ghost. He can't touch me anymore. It's the most liberating thing. It is life. I have stepped into eternal life now. And so can you. But you've got to die first. The pathway to life is through death. So let me ask you this question. Are you ready to die? Because those who die in Christ will live. And they will live fully and eternally. Are you ready to die? Because God... God's work of transformation is pervasive. Are you willing to put yourself on the altar to see the things that you don't want to see about yourself? Are you ready to die? Because if you are, you will live. You will live. Some of you here may be very much ready. Maybe there's a whole lot of stuff that you've seen about yourself that you just, I can't live with this. Well, I've got good news to you. You don't have to. You don't have to. Because you can die to that and rise up to something new. I believe that what God wants to do is He wants to create an army of dry bones. Ezekiel chapter 37 God takes Ezekiel to a valley full of dry bones. And the thing about dry bones is that the dry bone comes at the end of a long, long process of decomposition. Death has had its full effect right to the point where all that's left is dry bones. And this might help you to understand what God is doing in your life. Maybe He's stripping you back until you are just dry bones. Do you feel like that's what God is doing in your life? Because He wants an army of dry bones. In Ezekiel chapter 37, Ezekiel has this vision and God says to Ezekiel, Ezekiel, Prophesy to the dry bones because this, uh, this, this people now is ready for resurrection. This people is ready for resurrection. Are you ready for resurrection? So he says, son of man, prophesy to the dry bones. And God raises up a mighty army of people against whom the enemy cannot lay one finger because they already died and they are free and they are already living in eternal life. That's the victory that Jesus wants to bring 
into your life and my life. Why don't we stand together? Thanks, guys. Let's give thanks. Lord, we give you thanks for what you're doing in our lives. And Father, today we surrender ourselves into your hands. Lord Jesus, you stand at the door and knock. But Father, we know that deep down when you come in, that it will not just be resurrection, it will be death and resurrection. And so we confess, Lord, we've left the door closed because we didn't want to die. But today, Lord, we declare and we confess that we count everything as loss without You. We count everything as loss. We count all of our so-called righteousness as but filthy rags. It's all loss without You. And so, and I want you to picture yourself doing this now. And so we go to the door and we let in the one that is both our judge and our saviour. That he will come and he will bring judgment upon what needs to die so that we can be raised up in grace and forgiveness to new life. And so Jesus, we open the door to you. Lord, we open the door to you, Jesus. And today I wanna say, Jesus, as leader in this church, Jesus, I open the door to you today. That you would come, Lord, to lead us through death and to new life in your grace in your power, that we would become a church that walks in victory, in Jesus' name.